Hey, welcome back to Grove Unleashed. This is State Representative Seth Grove, the fight in 196, also House State Government Chairman, which is a phenomenal committee. We're doing a lot of great work, and we'll get into some of that uh, a little bit on the show. Joining me is Anders Toman from the district office. Anders helps people every single day. It's a great job and very rewarding. Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in to uh, the best House Republican podcast. And as a bonus, we don't talk about Star Wars. We could. I actually do like Star Wars, so we could. Not enough to talk about it on a podcast. So right, that, who, right. Who does that? Right. You know, it's kind of like the kids' table a little <laughs> bit, you know, yeah. at the wedding. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's nice. Kids in the back. You go on some chocolate milk, maybe some cookies, <laughs> tap them on their head, and uh, let the adults uh, yeah. we do, right? Awesome. So speaking of the House State Government Committee, we had a voting meeting this past week. I moved out some pretty good bills. Highlight two of them. What do we got, Anders? So on Tuesday, March 29th, you guys passed the Judicial Consolidation Bill. Um, that's your bill, House Bill 2066. Basically, we took, looked at the judiciary and said, we built you in 2009 a $116 million building. It's right behind us in the, the back uh, of, of the Capitol complex here. And uh, they still operate out of Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. By the way, during COVID, they did no in-person, so it was all virtual. They still have the capabilities of doing virtual. So as we are looking in the future at multi-billion dollar deficits, what's the judiciary ever put to the table to reduce their costs? I think it's about time the, the supreme beings in the third branch government started putting their money where their mouth is. So we are asking them to consolidate their judicial branches into the $116 million building, 2009, ladies and gentlemen, that is partially empty and has room to put all these people into. By it's the way, a beautiful building. It is. It is. They do all their work over there anyway. And they're, they're basically appellate courts. So it's not like they have actual people coming up. It's attorneys. And in the simple cases where the Superior Court or the Commonwealth Court has actual cases or their original jurisdiction where they actually might have individuals like citizens attend you know the attorneys can probably take care of that and make sure they get a room drive them up here and make those arrangements so also of note i i did this bill as a uh, amendment last year i got a fiscal note back on it it's like five million dollars in savings and by the way that's just for the court's district you know these judges have district offices like we do what's the point of that what, what constituent work do they do? They do none. That is, that is like personal attorneys and, I guess, clerks in their home areas. Some of these are $5,000 a month. $5,000 a month. And they're not doing any government services. It's not like they're helping people. They're not doing filings. It's time they, uh, uh, they look at their finances and their runaway spending. And, you know, I, the caucus a few years ago actually did report on these guys. Do you know that on top of their lease payments of, like, Mercedes-Benz, they also bill taxpayers their insurance costs for their cars. So they have a private car, lease, Mercedes-Benz-type cars paid for by the taxpayers. They charge mileage, gas reimbursement, and their insurance and their AAA membership. Do they post that stuff on their website? Uh, no, they do not have any transparency. Which is a great segue into the next bill we're going to discuss. That is House Bill 2499 by uh, Representative Keith Gillespie to make sure that the House, or is it the General Assembly? Well, it's definitely all? not the Generally Assembled. No. But it is the General Assembly. You know, I mean, again, put your money where your mouth is. The Senate did this. They post, started posting their stuff online. 
Uh, there's no reason why we as the General Assembly can't put our finances online so it's out there and you've been doing this since 2015 right so it's not that hard it creates uniformity an easy place to do it individuals don't have to file rtk so our poor rtk officer doesn't have to do the same data and listen it's the same thing newspapers call they want the per diems that's what they want i want the per diems of the general assembly for the past year and they calculate and do a big press story on who the per diem kings are and it's the same people shock it's the same people every year doesn't change the stories haven't changed just put it online and be done with it allow the people to view the expenditures of the general assembly just like the judiciary should have post theirs online and i challenge them to they won't but i challenge them go post it online and you guys have a lot of other things going on in the state government committee coming up uh you guys are going to have some peacers hearings starting on april 5th and then the next day you're going to have a election hearing yeah, so we got, well, well, it's actually a pension system hearings, and let's be clear, PSERS is the Pennsylvania School Employees Retirement System, and then we got SERS, State Employee Retirement Systems, two systems. PSERS is interesting, because I think we've discussed this before, they're under investigation by the FBI and the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission. Not a good place, like if I, if I would design a pension system, I would, like, that would be the baseline, let's make sure the FBI doesn't come in here and investigate you, right? I mean... Can we at least ask for that in a pension system? That so, sounds like the the most bottom line. Right. Yeah. Like if you if you cannot pass that, something is definitely wrong with what you're doing. Right. But that's where we're at in Pennsylvania. By the way, SIRS, the other pension system, state employees retirement system, not investigated by the FBI or the SEC. So they're they're doing something half decent. So it comes back to a, a few years ago, SIRS asked this group. Funks and Associates to do this report on governance. They adopted the report, made the changes, voila, no investigations by the FBI or the Securities and Exchange Commission. By the way, but just it's not a good thing. Like it's never a good thing for the FBI or the SEC to come and knock in and do investigations, right? So we're gonna have Funkston come in. They did another report on Peacers, so we're gonna figure out what Peacers is doing to adopt these recommendations. So we can have the expectation as taxpayers, and particularly the pensioners who they, you know, pieces of the fiduciary responsible for billions of assets, both taxpayers and individuals, that they have guarantees that the FBI and the SEC will not be investigating them anymore. And, you know, I mean, usually if they're there, there's some kind of criminal activity or something they're looking at. So hopefully for them, the investigation is cleared and no one goes to jail. But I mean, they don't come and knock in unless there's something there, right? Smoke leads to fire and so forth. So hopefully uh, hopefully we got some good expectations. The other one is election hearings we're having. So in, in, in Act 77, actually I think it was Act 12 of 2020, we created this Election Law Advisory Board uh, run by the Joint State Government Commission and its uh, elections directors, county commissioners, Department of State, members of the General Assembly, other entities they're on this board and their goal is to help us um, review election processes and stuff uh, and make recommendations moving forward house we were light years ahead of them they had one meeting by the time we had 10 uh, we've had a comprehensive report out so we're just going to get an update where are they at what are they doing and then we're gonna have department of state come in uh, someone who has testified in front of the state government committee well i think he's got the record so far uh, of this session and you know we've done a lot of hearings number one committee on oversight hearings i'm very proud of that because i love oversight you need to hold people accountable and it starts with bringing them in and asking them what they're doing you have more oversight hearings in the oversight committee well yeah to be honest oversight committee does operate behind the scenes okay as a former chairman this is true 
Um, and they're going to come in and explain what we can expect in the upcoming primary. Let's talk about any new guidance, any surprises. Like, let's have this discussion now um, so we don't have chaos in a major election year again. And again, baseline of expectations. Can we at least do that? A couple other things, talking about legislation. Work with some members on some Medicaid reforms. We call it medical assistance in Pennsylvania, uh, but it is it is Medicaid. Look through the budget, the current year budget, the 2021-22 budget. Uh, that budget's $38.4 billion. That's just state tax dollars. There's federal tax dollars on top of that, so it is much higher. Human Services, Department of Human Services, $16.1 billion, 18.5% of the total budget. 18.5% of the total budget. Medical assistance is $10.1 billion of that $16.1 billion wow. of human services. A third, so 38.4, third, a little less than a third of the entire state expenses is medical assistance. One program, and by the way, that's just the state totals, federal dollars, much, much higher. When you add on the federal FMAP money that we got from uh, coronavirus pandemic from the feds pushes that even higher. So a lot of constituents, you know, they always say, oh, you can talk, you can talk, you can talk. But you are one of the few legislators who actually go and uh, walk the talk and you're actually doing something about it. Right. So. Uh, what are the two bills that you have proposed to handle this issue? So one, one of my favorites, and I, I as first person in the General Assembly, actually uh, offer this bill a few years ago, and I brought it back because it's time we have these conversations. We got what? In, in the United States, we have 11 million open jobs with 8 million people in unemployment. We can't have that. That's completely backwards. So let's let's get people back to work. So we have work requirements and community engagement requirement for medical assistance. Other states have done this. And again, it's, it, it's even if we pass it, the Biden administration is never going to approve it. We know that. But at the hope of the voters giving us a Republican president sometime in the future, I think we'll be in a good spot to actually have that and making sure that dollars are there for people to use it. And listen, work is good. Work is, 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 is healthy for an individual. Uh, we want to move them, raise all ships. Um, so it's an it's important thing we do. And it's modeled after President Clinton's welfare to work program. right. right. Back when people could actually compromise and work together down in D.C., you know, Republicans in Congress worked with Bill Clinton, obviously a Democrat president, and did welfare reform. And it worked for a number of years until future Congresses and future presidents removed all those welfare integrity provisions out of it. And now it's just, uh, unfortunately, just, just keeping people on the public dole and keeping them kind of hooked on those government dollars. It just doesn't work long term. The other one is... Uh, eligibility redeterminations. So under the CARES Act, pandemic happens, President Trump is in power, Senate's controlled by the Republicans, and Nancy Pelosi is controlled the U.S. House, right? So there's a deal struck to get the CARES, the CARES Act dollars. It's the first round of kind of federal stimulus dollars during the pandemic. Part of that provision, part of the deal with Nancy Pelosi was keeping people on Medicaid rolls even though they're ineligible. That is set to expire uh, in another 12 months. They have to unwind that. So the big big issue I have is I don't trust the Department of Human Services, who prides themselves on adding people to the Medicaid rolls, to actually do that in a reasonable, fashionable way. So, And by the way, that is a cost of close to half a billion dollars to taxpayers. Half a billion dollars. 400 during a House appropriations hearings. Uh, the acting secretary of the Department of Human Services says $495 million cost to us every single year to have people on our Medicaid rolls that are not eligible. 
not eligible. And this seems like a common sense thing to do. Right. And you even put out a survey about it uh, in your newsletter. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was around 90% of people agreed mm-hmm. with this within your district. It's common yeah. sense. I mean, why have eligibility if we're not going to check for it? Um, it make it makes no sense. No sense. Particularly with the amount of open jobs we have. Started at Harley. Harley's what, $35 an hour? Uh, most sheets and convenience stores, $15 an hour. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So what we see happening here is you have individuals that are capable of working. They're not eligible for these benefits. They're still receiving the benefits, so they're not entering the workforce. And we need a lot of people, like a lot of people in the workforce right now. Uh, so you're, you're taking people that should be working, paying taxes, spending money that they have earned from that to bolster the economy. Instead, they're they're sitting on the sidelines not doing that. So you're, you're hurting the supply chain, you're hurting the economy, um, and you're increasing costs to government, which causes some, not me, but some politicians up here to say we need to raise taxes even more and collect more people and hurt the economy more. So it ends up being kind of like this little death spiral. So looking and doing redeterminations is critically important this year and continuing to do it, um, making sure people meet eligibility requirements. Uh, and two, like we spend, it's we get a billion dollars a year from the federal government for workforce development. Why aren't we using that money with these people to put them in a position where they have family-sustaining jobs and benefiting themselves and their families moving forward? And it's only going to get worse, this need, um, as you know, we're reaching the tail end of the baby boomer generation going into retirement, and it's already hurting industries like the trucker industry. Uh, and COVID was a huge hit on that because you had a lot of people in that generation saying, why am I still working? I could be retired right now. So that's right. something that we need to get done as soon as possible. Right. And to fraud. You want to prevent fraud. So you want to make sure people aren't frauding the system. And speaking of fraud, let's talk about unemployment and the PPP fund, which after this analysis, you might say that's the poopy fund for the amount of fraud in this program. So going back again to the federal government trying to deal with the down economy, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we had Governor Wolf that had the one of the largest economic shutdowns out of all governors. The only governor to actually shut down construction and some other things that other governors keeping it ongoing as long as he possibly could. But his company was still open. Right. Yeah. Ironic. Shock. Shock. Right? Shocking. 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 In, in large respect, I mean, basically the federal government said, get this money out. Don't worry about integrity. I'm sure people are going to be honest and forthright, mm-hmm. right? And they won't fraud the system because people need the money. What a joke. What What do we find out? What do we find out happened with all this federal dollars? Well, unemployment compensation fraud costs Pennsylvania tax dollars. And that means that means dollars that people spent in their state taxes, not their federal taxes, $570 million. Woo! Five seventy. Unemployment compensation fraud was estimated to cost an additional $78 billion, with a B, dollars to the federal government. Woo! Uh, and that's billion. not even including, that estimate's not including the period of the greatest fraudulent activity when, you know, all of this started and people started finding out we can defraud this system. And it turns out that unemployment fraud investigations now account for 92% of the U.S. Labor Department Office of Inspector General investigative case inventory. So all the uh, investigative cases that the U.S. Department of Labor are handling, 92% of them are unemployment fraud investigations, compared to 12% prior to the pandemic. 
That's insane. So you have the federal government obviously trying to prop up the economy because governors shut it down, you know, two weeks, right? Two weeks, two weeks. Shut down for two weeks. Everything will be better. That turned here in Pennsylvania feels like nine years of just this complete chaos. Failed policy. I don't know anybody that has come back to say that worked. We should do that again. So let's let's all agree uh, in every history book written in about 2020, the pandemic, that it clearly says in every single history book, even the ones the communists want to push on us that want to rewrite the American history, that says lockdowns don't work. <laughs> don't do them. They create far more harm. So it's interesting. NBC Nightly News did a story about this. We have to read it. Uh, go through it a little bit because this is this is this is gross incompetence at so many levels. So here, here it goes. Quote: Most of these losses are considered unrecoverable. Once government spends money, you get pennies on the dollar back. So it's gone. It's gone. You're never going to see it again. Six hundred billion is still waiting to go out the door. And they appear to have made a difference in curbing fraud by putting some verification rules back in. Way to go. You're late to the game. And that's taxpayers. People work hard for that money, and they're never, ever going to get it back. PPP fraud costs the federal government $80 billion. That's on top of the unemployment right. uh, insurance that went out and all that fraud. $80 billion in PPP, that's 10% of all PPP funds that the federal government put out yeah here is the looting quote the looting of the paycheck protection program the ppp program the poopy program work differently it could be far more lucrative for fraudsters nearly 10 million such loans have already been forgiven because they authorize government-backed loans many of the loans turned grants were for millions of dollars public records show uh, the SBA's inspector general has identified $78.1 billion in potentially fraudulent economic injury disaster loans. Another COVID relief program. That's on top of the fraud and then the poopy program. The Secret Service has its own estimate at $100 billion. One of the, the gentlemen who deals with the fraud within the system said it was really simple to commit fraud. People went on state websites and took the names of the existing businesses or registered new ones, fake ones. And they just pretended they were a business. It was really interesting. They actually have some of the fraud that's been investigated. I think you need to hear. People need to hear where their money is going. So here we go. David Hines, 29 of Miami, admitted to a fraud scheme that netted him $3.9 million. Court paper said he struggled with addiction, bought a $318,000 Lamborghini. He also spent thousands on luxury hotels, jewelry, clothing, dating sites, say prosecutors. Also in Miami, a man and woman admitted to a complex scheme in which, among other things, they claim they were operating farms in downtown Miami. How do you miss that one? Out of small, single-family homes in the middle of the city with many, many employees on this farm in downtown Miami. How do you miss that? Three mi you say $3 million on dating sites? What kind of Tinder subscription does he have? Right. Another case, Florida case, prosecutors have charged a man who they say used proceeds from a $7.2 million emergency loan to buy a 12,579-square-foot mansion, a Lincoln Navigator, a Maserati, and a Mercedes-Benz. California couple convicted in June of stealing $18 million. They bought three houses, diamonds, gold coins, luxury watches, expensive furniture, and other valuables. This is how wonderful these people are. Just as they were about to be sentenced, they cut off their ankle bracelets and fled, leaving their children behind. Washington, D.C. 
someone who appears to have no criminal record was charged last summer with trying to steal $17 million from PPP and other programs. According to their LinkedIn page, she earned a degree in computer engineering from Cal State, worked in various tech jobs, and they, they a couple of things they see is a Tesla Model 3 from that gentleman. It, in his defense, though, I'm sure that $17 million that he stole from PPP almost makes up for all the income tax that he pays to California. Yeah. One, one of the big one is uh, this Danielle Miller, uh, Boston area. She, in 40 minutes, scanned $100,000 in taxpayer money, according to court documents, booked a private jet from Florida, California, where she spent $5,500 in luxury hotel in West Hollywood, and uh, basically bragged about it on her Instagram, which has 34,000 followers. This is where your money is being used. Uh, across the country, only 178 people have been convicted in PPP fraud cases. They believe the m- numbers are going to be around tw- 2,000, even as high as 20,000 people. Well, that is if states continue to actually investigate this. Right. But the Biden administration are now allowing blanket waivers to forego recovery of these payments. Right. How crazy is that? They're Basically, the Biden administration is saying, you know what? Let's not waste our time convicting people who have frauded the taxpayers. Let's not worry about them. Let's let them just keep these hundreds of millions of dollars. We won't seize their assets. They can just keep it. I guess that's the economic recovery. I guess the Biden administration, let's go fund fraud to prop up our economy. I, I don't know if that's their new new mantra. It's the Biden giveaway, you know? Afghanistan, hey, uh, Taliban, who we went to war with because you decided to- He's like Oprah. Yeah, yeah. here you go. You here get you a go. million dollars. You, get, you, you get, get a free Apache helicopter. Right, here you go. Take all the military equipment. Hey, fraudsters, fraudsters, <laughs> go ahead. Take all this money and go buy illegal stuff. Uh, I, I just, it just blows my mind. And it's just, it's infuri- it is infuriating government can't put in the proper internal control so elizabeth listen nothing ticks me off more than that kind of stuff so i just introduced a great house bill uh, house bill 2482 it's pretty common sense like and i'm sure governor wolf will hate it and video it if it gets to his desk because he doesn't like common sense things and he doesn't like you let's be honest yeah that's it. yeah. it's okay federal funds oversight really easy bill first before we accept federal funds review what the requirements are what are the strings attached? Can we do that? How about this? Is there actually integrity provisions put into this so we aren't scammed? So we can actually protect taxpayer dollars. What's the cost? Are, is it going to create a deficit in our budget over the next five years? Some, some very simple stuff. Every federal program has performance goals attached to it. You have to meet them. How, how is the agency going to meet those goals moving forward? Pretty easy stuff, you know. Uh, let's do a transparency portal for federal dollars. How much is coming in? Where is it going? Who's collecting it? Uh, provide that level of transparency to help us catch people. Let's use tools that are already there to scrub payments before they go out to make sure that dead people or people in prison aren't getting them because we, we know that. We have vital records. We have the JNET system. So we know who's in jail. We can do that stuff. You know, file closeout report. How did we do? Did we meet the goals? Was it successful? People should know this stuff. Forbid accepting federal dollars. Can we discuss that? Like, just because it's federal, it's like it's 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 set around here, and it's it's so wrong. It's free money. Federal dollars are free money. It's still taxpayer dollars. It's not free. We should have some guidance in statute on when and why we should accept federal dollars. How about we don't accept federal dollars if it's going to cause a budget deficit? 
How about we don't accept the uh, federal dollars if it's going to create a new federal program and then they stop paying for it and we're stuck as taxpayers paying for these things. How about this? Federal government should be involved in education. So if the federal government comes back and says, you need to create new programs or require this, this teaching, we're not accepting it because it's not their role to dictate to our kids who should be educating uh, what we should be educating them in. That's a discussion between parents. Parents should have a role in that. They have a right to know. And the federal government should be involved in education to begin with. So let's put those parameters on. How about this one? If federal dollars have requirements that hinders, hinders the ability of states to actually catch and prevent and prosecute fraudsters, we don't accept the money. Can we do that? Big federal programs lead to fraud. We get caught in it. We shouldn't accept the money. How about we have these things called maintenance of effort. They have strings, like federal strings attached to the money. How about we do analysis of what that is? Are they in contradiction to our statutes, our state laws? Maybe we shouldn't be accepting money if they are. So we need to do a much better job of reviewing these federal dollars before we just come back and say, oh, free money, and do a full review of this stuff before we get caught in these massive fraud schemes. I mean, I, I just, I look at these numbers. It's, it's sickening. It is really sickening. Not as sickening as generally assembled, but it's, it's, it's still sickening. In total, and according to like the most conservative estimates, mm-hmm. all COVID relief programs cost Americans on the conservative side $579 billion, with a B, dollars. And listen, fraud happens. It happens. There are bad people out there. Uh, believe it or not, I know some people don't believe this, but fraud happens in elections. Right. It happens. People fraud things. They fraud money for very different reasons. And we need to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars. We need to make sure we have the right internal controls to do it. Um, And when I look at audits that come back, you know, federal government requires a single audit on federal programs. When I read these single audits and I see state agencies who have got whacked with findings um, that they, they didn't have the proper internal controls year after year and they're not making changes. That infuriates me. And that's how this fraud happens. They let things go. They're not doing the proper paperwork. They're not doing the proper checks. Fraudsters will probe. They'll figure it out. And and they'll just go do it. And then they tell their friends. Literally, in that article, they had a text message from a guy. Here's what it said. uh, Quote, you need to apply. 10K guaranteed. They don't check. It's all automated. That's what we put in place. Send billions of dollars, trillions of dollars. And the feds and the states continue to do this. We can't accept it anymore. This has been another episode of Grove Unleashed. For more Grove Unleashed content, visit repgrove.com slash mypodcasts. For all PA House podcasts, visit pahousegop.com slash mypodcasts. Yeah.